CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now. Well, if you're listening to this while out doing your daily Great Cup fit-up, I hope you know that you can do it, you got this, and keep up the great work. Yes, Great Cup fit-up is back, and I am very excited to be participating for the third year in a row. 100 straight days, 30 minutes of exercise a day leading up to the Grey Cup in Calgary this year. Uh, Looking forward to the progress along the way and seeing what I'm able to accomplish and uh, updating you all on the progress. On the Canadian Football Countdown, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network, I'm Ryan Coop, and well, I'm alone again for this episode. Uh, Mike is away on vacation this week. But, fear not, we will hear from him a little bit from now, as uh, we I did have the chance to talk to him on Friday uh, before he headed out on his vacation. I uh, talked about the uh, Matt Nichols injury, which is a lot of talk around the league right now. Uh, a little bit about Andrew Harris's uh, rushing record and uh, yards from scrimmage record that he attained Thursday night. And uh, BC Lions, Mike Riley, all of that. So you'll hear... Hear my chat with Mike from Friday in a little bit here on the show, and then I will also be joined by uh, Ryan Ballantyne from the Horseman Radio Podcast out in Calgary, uh, another member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network, to talk everything Calgary Stampeders going into their bye week. And, oh, is this going to be an interesting chat, I imagine, especially coming off of that uh, late-game collapse to the Montreal Alouettes. We'll get his thoughts on all of that on how the uh, season has gone so far from Calgary and uh, his takes on Nick Arbuckle and uh, perhaps where he'll go uh, once Bo Levi Mitchell comes back. Well, you you know, I I talked about the Montreal comeback win over Calgary a little bit here already, and we'll hear more about the Calgary side of things, but I have to give props to Montreal in this one. Uh, Huge comeback late in the game. They scored 11 points in something like the final 30 seconds of the game. Uh, March downfield, they score a touchdown, they get the onside kick, and they kick the field goal to tie, and then they win this in overtime. Um, the Alouettes are starting to pick up some steam here a little, and I don't think uh, I don't think people really expected them to preseason. Uh, Mike and I did both have them finishing second in the East, which is where they sit right now, but given, you know, the recent history of the East Division that was not necessarily a high accolade we had in mind. And granted, they're only 4-4, four and four, but you look at a Montreal team that the week before could have very well potentially beaten the Riders had it not uh, the game not been cancelled due to a weather delay. But not no in no way am I saying that the Riders were uh, handed a victory by the league on purpose. Let's just get that straight right now. Anybody who still has that conspiracy theory, um, you're wrong. Um, that's CFL's weather policy. I know they're meeting on it. But Montreal did unfortunately get the loss that week, but had a strong bounce back game. Took down the Stampeders here. Uh, Vernon Adams Jr. back in the lineup, 32 of 50 for 389 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, also 38 yards on the ground and two rushing touchdowns late in the game. Very key ones there. So Vernon Adams, I've talked about it all season long on the podcast. Uh, You know, this is a guy that's been all over the league. He hasn't had his shot here, uh, until now he finally gets the chance to start. Thanks to that injury, uh, at the start of the season by it to Antonio Pipkin, and Adams comes in, takes over, and starts winning a couple games, as he does. This is a guy that's primarily been a Russian quarterback, at uh, least seen as one throughout his career, that's starting to use his arm a little bit to make some big plays. You know, he found Devere Posey for 181 yards uh, in this game, including a 58-yarder. He found Eugene Lewis for 114 yards. He's starting to use those big play receivers he has in his offense, and 
things are going well for the Owlets. Uh, yes, I know, still only four and four at 500 record on the season. But if you look at their schedule going forward here a little bit, they do have. Uh, I know they have the uh, game against the Argos this week. I believe they have a game coming up against BC uh, shortly uh, in a couple weeks. So uh, after their bye week, uh, yeah, they play the Lions after the bye week. So a couple chances to get uh, a couple more wins under the belt, their belt in the next couple of weeks. I like the trajectory of things in Montreal. This is not the same pushover team we saw a couple years ago, and uh, they're going to compete. And boy, it's it's funny that we can go talking about a team being, uh, you know, bottom feeders in the CFL to even talk this week. Mike and I were texting back and forth, and he raised the question to me: Can we consider Montreal a Grey Cup contender? And I, I have to say, I, I think so. I, I'm high on the Alouettes. Uh, at 4-4 four and four right now, and I think they're only going to get better as the season goes along, especially once they get William Stanback back into the lineup. Uh, a couple other things I want to touch on here before we get into talking about the Bombers and the Lions with Mike, and then the Calgary Stampeders with Ryan from Horseman Radio. Um, the Toronto Argonauts lose again this week. Uh, defense kind of left the offense out to dry. I mean, my goodness, did... Uh, did Trevor Harris put up, and the Eskimos offense put up a lot of yards and a lot of points against them. Woo! Uh, 41-26, the Argos lose. James Wilder Jr., boy, go back a year and a half ago, rookie of the year uh, <laughs> candidate. Uh, I believe he may have won it uh, for basically only playing half a season. Um, outstanding year for him that year. And then you had the contract disputes in the offseason. And now we're looking at this year, uh, a healthy scratch right before this game. And there's talk about, you know, sounds like based on comments uh, from Corey Chamberlain, uh, if you if you go to CFL.ca, Chris O'Leary wrote a great article uh, trying to make sense of this all. Uh, looks like the Argos are trying to shop James Wilder Jr. here. They don't necessarily have the uh, same place in the lineup for him as he would like them to. Uh, he obviously wants to be the starting running back. They kind of want to just use him on special teams, and it looks like maybe they want to go Brandon Burks and Chris Rainey uh, at the running back position going forward here. But I, I don't know. I don't know if Toronto's going to find a partner in a trade for a guy like James Wilder because you look at other teams around the league. Okay, which teams do I think could be looking for a running back like him? You have to think the Hamilton Tiger Cats if Sean Thomas Erlington is not coming back this season, which, uh, and there's been nothing to say he's out for the year yet, but he's also been on the sixth game for, I believe, six weeks now, and we haven't really gotten much of an update on his status, at least as far as I've seen. Uh, so I see Hamilton as a potential landing spot. I see, uh, I see Calgary, maybe. They've had so many injuries in the backfield, but the backfield's already crowded there. Maybe BC gives him a shot, but uh, I, I don't know where we see James Wilder end up if it doesn't stick out in Toronto here. And frankly, if I'm any of those teams, I mean, I'm not giving up anything to trade for the guy if it seems like the Argos are just going to release him in a couple weeks and I can get him on a cheaper deal without having to give something up. That's the problem you get to when you're in this situation like a team like Toronto is right now. Is sure. You, you, you want to go and offload guys for other talent, but when you have a scene like this one where this guy who has publicly been in contract disputes with you is clearly frustrated with his role with the team and uh, is being made a healthy scratch here and you, you don't seem to have a place for him where he should be utilized in the lineup, if I made other teams around the CFL, I'm probably looking at this as a case of, okay, they're going to release him. They might release him. I'll wait and I'll try to jump on that. So I, I'm interested to see here what happens with James Wilder Jr. I still believe he is an outstanding running back. And uh, maybe a fresh start would go and kind of rejuvenate things for him. But that remains to be seen. Will he stick out the year with the Argos? Will they find a trade partner for him? Or will he end up being released by the team? And where does he land? If so, next thing I want to talk about. I hate to say it, but he has finally missed a field goal. 69 consecutive field goals. 
uh, in regular season play for Lewis Ward. I mean, just incredible. Like, give the guy a round of applause. I loved to see the standing ovation uh, that they gave him at TD Place Stadium, you know. Uh, you could potentially expect a couple boos when your team is struggling this much and you miss a 31-yard field goal uh, on a chance to put some points on the board, but uh, standing ovation for Lewis Ward, and honestly, he deserved it. I mean, the fact that this guy made 69 straight field goals, I don't know if anybody's ever going to break his record. Uh, I, I, I'm surprised it lasted this long, and that's no knock on him in any way. That's that's more so credit to him just of how good he has been. The fact that he made those in a row, and there were some of them that were going from 50 yards, 48 yards, to put it on the the record on the line with like an over 50 yard field goal, he had no fear to do that. It's just bizarre then that you know a 31 yarder is the undoing. So you know Lewis Ward's streak comes to an end. I don't think it will be broken anytime soon. But hey, he uh, he did make field goal after that, and he is back on track. Uh, actually, two field goals after that, and he is back on track now to, uh, to try to break that record yet again. He's two consecutive field goals. Uh, well, you got to start somewhere, right, Lewis Ward? Now, without further ado, let's bring in my conversation from Friday with my co-host, Michael Garrell. Spent a lot of time talking about the Nichols injury disclosure up front. It was on Friday. We didn't know the extent of it yet. We do know now that he is on the six-game injured list, which, thankfully so, not a season-ending injury for Matt Nichols. Uh, great news for Bomber fans there, but... Uh, without further ado, let's get into that. And now let's bring in my usual co-host for the podcast for the entire episode, uh, who is away on vacation this week, but took some time on Friday to talk a little bit about the Bombers and the Lions and that game from Thursday night. Mike, how are you doing? Good. I'm good. I, uh, still a little, I guess, shot uh, about... Last night's proceedings about 14 hours later, but uh, it'll pass. Yeah, of course, the Bombers improved to 7-2 and two on the season with a big home win over the BC Lions, but it's a win that comes uh, bittersweet for Bomber fans as uh, starting quarterback Matt Nichols does go down with an injury late in that game. Uh, I was at the game. I was on the far end of the stadium, so I didn't really see what happened there. And likewise, it seemed like a lot of people, nobody in my section seemed to actually recognize that Matt Nichols was injured until you texted me with the words, I think he has a broken collarbone, to which then I have to become the bearer of bad news to everybody in the section wondering why Chris Strevler is out there. So thanks for that, Mike. Um, explain what you saw on TV for those of us who didn't quite see it. Well, I mean, you. what I saw basically was a... Normal football play, Sean Lemon beats the, uh, beats the offensive lineman, and he's coming from behind, kind of from behind, from the side of Matt Nichols, and he hits him, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, just a normal, just a normal shot, right? And all of a sudden, Lemon, I guess they went to the ground together, kind of thing, and it looked like Matt Nichols just simply didn't have enough time to, to brace himself, because I don't, quite quite honestly, I don't think he saw Sean Lemon coming or didn't see him till the last minute and didn't have enough time to brace. And then basically the weight of the sack going down on what I'm going to call with Matt Nettles' upper body at this point in time, uh, shoulder, collarbone, elbow, whatever you want to call it, we still don't know what it is, and like we won't find out until Monday. But basically, with all that force, went down on it, and you can see him motioning like he keeps his arm. It really reminded me, minus the training staff coming out, of what happened to Kevin Glenn when he got hit. Now, I know it's a completely different play, but the reaction as far as after the play, you know, he right away motioned over. And it looks like he tells Strebler, hey, warm up, I'm done. And then doesn't even go to the bench. He just goes straight to the to the dressing room with his arm kind of elevated. And it was like, oh, this is pretty 
pretty serious. Yeah, so we, we, we don't know as of right now when we're recording this piece on Friday the extent of the injury. We do know Nichols is going for an MRI uh, to determine the extent of it, which generally when a player goes for an MRI, we're expecting at least the six-game injured list. We're crossing our fingers and hoping and praying it's not out for the year here for Matt Nichols, but this puts the Bombers in an interesting situation because... You do have Chris Strebler as the backup, which pretty much every second fan in Winnipeg has been wanting to see be the starter, so now here's their chance, as you said last night, <laughs> very accurately so. Um, Chris Strebler is a free agent this offseason. Uh, Bombers get a bit of a chance to now actually see what he can do as a passer, because we know he can run the ball. There's no doubt about that. We know Chris Strebler loves to run, but... When you're a starting quarterback, you can't run on every play. And so, I'll admit, I, I'm one of those people that is not as hyped up as everybody else in Winnipeg seems to be about Chris Strebler. I, I, I like him as a second-string quarterback-slash-glorified running back like he's used. I don't know if I'm confident him in, in him as a passer quite yet, though. We have not seen enough of him. I know he had those couple games early last year where he didn't look too bad, but since then, every time they seem to put him in, every team knows he's going to run the ball, and sometimes he tries to switch it up, and the passing accuracy just isn't there. Uh, what do you think uh, if Strebler has to you know, come in and play next couple of weeks, rest of the season? Uh, what are you expecting to see from him? Well, I think, to be honest with you, if I may use a hockey analogy, it's like that starting goalie bit going down and that backup has to come in pulled off the bench. Meanwhile, dealing with the emotions of your starter supposedly suffering a serious injury, I think, Ryan, it's a completely different thing to come in and, and struggle his teeth as a backup. Now, I know they need to say, you know, you, a, a backup needs to be ready to go in and assume assume a starting role, uh, you know, in the event of an injury and whatnot. But you have to think of the mindset, right? I mean, you think about, you know, Chris Trevler saying, oh, you know what, I'm on the ba- on the bench. I run this, this little package that they have for me in the offense, which is kind of that option package where he runs it, uh, either hands it off or does that play that we saw a couple times last night that second and one or at least once. Uh, and then rolls out to throw the ball. So, you know, they have that, what I like to call, uh, option package with Strebler. But I, I really think it's a completely different thing now that we look at and we assume that it is going to be Strebler starting next week and they, they don't bring anybody, uh, they don't bring anybody in. And I think, to be honest, to bring somebody in to start, would be a disrespect to Chris Traveler, who, you know, the Bombers have said for many, many years, at least two years anyway, is more than a capable guy to, to carry the load. So I, I believe the Bombers will be looking for somebody to fill that third-string role, which could be a Brandon Bridge or an Antonio Pipkin, perhaps, or, well, or anybody, well, anybody, really. Brandon Bridge is a free agent uh, after he was let go by Montreal. Antonio Pipkin, the Bombers would have to trade for, which I'm not sure they'd be willing to do as this guy to kind of fill this uh, third-string role. Now, granted, we talk about Pipkin because he's been relegated to third-string in Montreal after being passed on the depth chart by Matt Schiltz. But, um, yeah, you know... I don't, yeah, it's going to be a third string guy, if anything, that the Bombers try to bring in. They like Chris Strebler. They seem to have liked what they saw in training camp from Sean McGuire. It was enough for them mm-hmm. to go and cut Bri- uh, Brian Bennett, uh, who was with the team for a couple years. So if Nichols is out long term, these will be the two guys, I would presume, going forward. And I- I'm just interested to see w- what Chris Strebler is capable of because, you know, this was a conversation I was having on Twitter last week with a couple people uh, from the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Um, we always seem to, in the CFL, go and glorify a backup quarterback based on such minimal experience. I look at Drew Willie playing four games in Saskatchewan before the Bombers bring him in on a big contract. I look at James Franklin, three, four games in Edmonton, Toronto brings him in expecting him to be the next big thing, and he struggled there. Like, 
we we need to see some more playing time before you're willing to go and commit to this guy. And this is Chris Trevor's chance to go and show that he deserves a starting job somewhere in the CFL next year. I don't know if it will be the with, with the Bombers. We have learned uh, that Matt Nichols is under contract actually through 2020. Um, so I would imagine he would come back as the starter next year. But it remains to be seen where Chris Trevor will play. And this is audition time for him. Wait, and I think, just to finish my thought, and kind of the gist of my previous point was, it's a different thing mindset-wise to come in and know that you're starting versus coming in off the bench or running this little little option package. Yes, absolutely. So, so I, think, I think that's a completely different different scenario for him. And, and you know what, we saw what he did last year, and this, this was Chris Trevler as a, um, as a true rookie last year. Right now, we just see, see the progression in in Chris Traveler's game over the course of you know being with Matt Nichols the back half a lot too when he didn't start uh, running that option passage, being in a lot of games last year, and now having an off season to train and being more familiar with Paul Apolite. Uh, I think this is a very good situation for him, and, and I would expect them to succeed. I'm not just about to say. You know, he didn't win every game as a starter, but, you know, the Bombers' uh, defense and special teams played so well to, to, to steal a, a line. If Chris Traveler could come in and manage the game, kind of like <laughs> Matt Nichols, and not turn the ball over and, you know, protect the football, why, why can't the Bombers keep right on rolling? Yeah, and I think they will based on just how strong the defense and the special teams has been. Mike, we have to talk about the other big thing from Thursday night's game. Andrew Harris picks up the yardage he needs to uh, surpass Ben Cahoon for the uh, Canadian leading uh, yards from scrimmage leader all time in the CFL. Andrew Harris is the best in that stat category in CFL history. He also moves up to uh, top 10 all-time in CFL rushing yards. Um, it's just spectacular. Like, and, and he's showing no signs of slowing down. Like, he's 32, and he's on pace for his career best. And honestly, I think it just goes to show that, and I know this for a fact from having read this for many, many years about Andrew Harris, he treats his body exceptional compared to most professional athletes. Like his body, for being, you know, in his 30s, is in tip-top condition, and he takes care of it uh, on and off the field and, you know, doing the right therapy between games, allowing his, his body to bounce back when you think, oh, you know, he's worn down from, you know, 20, 30 touches in a football game. He comes back that next week fresh. And I think as long as he continues to do that, I don't see him losing a, a step like many people are suggesting. Now, the interesting thing is, and I don't want to knock Wally Buono, but didn't he let Andrew Harris go out of fear that Harris would lose a step? Like, like that to me is almost, you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, but... It's almost like Andrew Harris is taking that mindset. Like they thought that, oh, BC thinks I'm, you know, BC thinks I lost it, that BC thinks that they can do better, better without me. And it's almost like motivated Andrew Harris. It's turned a bomber franchise around. And as far as I'm concerned, as long as Andrew Harris keeps doing what he's doing, I don't think it would be a surprise to see him break any possible record, you know, that he had the chance to break. And I, I just don't see why. You know, he doesn't go and break it the way he's playing. Yeah, and, and you know, it's interesting because uh, being a bit of a younger CFL fan, you know, you always hear talk about these guys back in, like, the 80s, uh, the, the real, like, star players in the CFL, the historical bests, and, you know, even guys like Dunnigan uh, at quarterback comes to mind uh, as one of these greats that I never got a chance to actually see play in the CFL, right? And so... It's just interesting to think, because I look at a guy as Andrew Harris, that, you know, in the future, if I am so lucky enough to have children of my own or grandchildren in the future, this guy that I'm going to be able to tell my kids about, right? This it's outstanding CFL player, this historical best player 
that that I got to the pleasure of watching week in and week out. He's so much fun to watch, Andrew Harris, and honestly, I couldn't be happier for a better guy because Harris, since he has come back to the Bombers, has done nothing but amazing things both on and off the field. He's so involved in the community here uh, with football programs here in the city, and uh, I'm just happy for him. Here's the other interesting thing. I, I, I honestly think it's time to change the narrative about Andrew Harris. But he might be the best Canadian by the time his career is done to ever step foot in the CFL. I, I, I think we're getting, we're getting to that point now. I, I really think, you know, without having, you know, just chance to sit down and compile a list, I would suggest that Andrew Harris is in the top five as far as Canadian to ever play the game. In the TFL, and I would venture to guess that by the time, you know, whether it's three, four years or however long Andrew Harris decides to play, I really think it's time to put Andrew Harris in that upper echelon as far as greatest Canadian to ever play in the CFL. Uh, Mike, let's talk about the BC Lions side of this game for a little bit here. Um, the Lions lose yet again. It's now, what, 1 in 7 on the season, I believe, for them. Um, pretty much we're getting close to all hope is lost. You know, they, they've lost every single season series now, except the one to Calgary in the West division. Um, things are obviously not going well in BC. And, and I just want to talk about Mike Riley here. Like mm-hmm. I feel terrible for Mike Riley. And, and I know so many people will say, they absolutely don't because it was his decision to go to BC. He makes seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. I don't feel sorry for him. Like, I, I'm sorry, I don't agree with that. Like, I was watching the game last night in the stands, and you know, first couple sacks on him because he got sacked seven times. You know, you're celebrating, of course, but by the end of the game, the game's like it's starting to get out of reach, and Riley just gets hit again and. All I started to feel was bad for the guy. Like, to me, and by the way, just to correct correction, with BC's lot, they fell to 1-8. and 1-8, one and eight, okay. 1-8, uh, and eight, so their win percentage is 1-1-1, one, 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 that's fifth in the last. The next closest winning percentage, of course, coming into this week, before the game's on the weekend, is 6-25. Oof. That, that just goes to show you how far it is. To climb out of last place, never mind to get you know into that playoff scenario. Right. But all things aside, to me the explanation mark on me feeling bad for Mike Riley was the shot by Jeff Hecht last night. Everybody in the park knew that he was in a blitz, including Mike Riley, and Jeff Hecht comes around the end virtually untouched and just. Put the sack into Mike Riley, but kind of put an explanation point on why BC is one and eight. And to me, it's just like on paper, like you look at it. I mean, all the pieces that they brought in, Lamar Durant was supposed to be good. You know, they signed Sub Chun from Bombers. They had all the all the makings of a very very good football team, but just hasn't put it together yet. And it reminds me, quite honestly, of that Bomber team that went 4-14, lost about 10 games by, you know, 7 points or less. And I know BC scores haven't been haven't been close as close as that. But what happened the next year was the Bombers went to the Grey Cup and, and ultimately lost that game. So, you know, I'm not too sure... What you can do to salvage uh, BC chances this year, but I'm not even sure what you can do next off season to kind of fix it, given the fact that there is a whole lot of contract term on you know Mike Riley's contract. Now contracts aren't guaranteed, of course, but you know you're not going to cut an entire football team. You just have to hope that you use the second half of the year to work through it. And go from there. I mean, I I saw I liked a lot of what I saw from BC last night, but there was a five minute stretch, and it was the big uh, punt return by Janarian Grant. It was the special teams touchdown. Like things happen with BC 
where it just starts to snowball on them. Well, and it's like they, it's like they don't know how to keep their head above water, and it's just, it just it it must be so infuriating as a BC fan to see that you're right there for a large part, and it snowballs on you for five minutes, and the game gets away from you. To me, like you mentioned, you don't know what you do to save to salvage the second half of the season for BC. I don't think you can. Like things are looking bleak playoff percentages wise here. To me, the second half of the season, though, if you're BC, you signed Mike Riley to a four year contract. You better play in the second half of the season to salvage his career. And, and the way I mean that is the sense that like. First of all, with Matt Nichols going down, that's now seven starting quarterbacks around the league that have are going to miss time due to injury. Somehow, despite all the hits he's taken, he's been sacked now, I think, 36 times. Mike Riley is still standing. Like, if he keeps taking hits like this for another nine games, I am very concerned about his health. Because... He's he's not getting any protection out there, and, and some of it I do believe is on Mike Riley. He does hold on to the ball for a long time, but Jarius Jackson, the offensive coordinator, has to do something to switch up the game plan, and I thought they were going to do that uh, when they started the second half with the trick play to Deron Carter throwing the long bomb to Lamar Durant. You, you got to do something to give him time back there and protect this guy because I don't know if he's going to last the season. And sure, this season might be a write-off potentially at this point, but you, you better make sure you can keep him healthy so that you can tinker in the offseason, come back out, and make next year a new year. Well, the interesting thing to me is just how low uh, Mike Riley's rushing yards are as a whole. I mean, Mike Riley just didn't... In 2013, at 709 rushing yards, uh, 616. In uh, 2014, 324. In 2015, and I cannot seem to find from 2015 onward. But what made Mike Riley successful is being able to rush for a substantial amount of... Um, a substantial amount of yards. The problem is Mike Riley is spending a lot more time uh, running for his life than actually running with the football. And to me, that, that's an offensive line issue. That's a receiving, receivers that tamp lot. That's a running back that is struggling to try to pick up the blitz. Or like, there's a whole world of problems that I don't even think start with Mike Riley. No. No, and and I don't think he's at fault uh, for all the hits he's... I I think he's at fault for some of it, like I said, but a lot of it is that play calling, play of the offensive line. Like, if I'm eight other teams in the CFL or any team that still has to play the Lions this year, that is the easiest game for me to game plan as a defensive coordinator because I just have to call a blitz on every play and I'll probably win the game. Well, well, here's the thing. Like, most people, like, when... Let's look at Winnipeg, for instance. Like, when Matt Nichols is under duress, he's got that release guy, which more than likely, it, most times, is either Nick Dempsey or Andrew Harris or Lucky Whitehead, one of those three. If Mike Riley's running back, in most cases, which is John White, is busy picking up a, a, a blitzer on every play, he can't exactly get open to be a release bat. So, to me, it's just a whole lot of... Uh, to me, everything offensively runs through Mike Riley and uh, Brian Burnham. I mean, we saw a little bit from Durant Carter last last night. But, Lamar Durant had a hundred yards as well, but uh, and Lamar Durant. But if if your running back constantly has to pick up blitzes because your offensive line can't, well, that's a big problem. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, things are looking bleak in BC right now, and we'll see. We'll see what they do the heck in the second half of the season. I, I, I just hope Mike Riley can stay healthy. Like, like that was painful to watch him taking those hits. I, I, I'm tired of seeing him take those hits game in and game out. And you can see the frustration coming from him. And frankly, I do not blame him. If I may make one suggestion for the CFL. 
it's to loosen up your your rules on uh, coaches tap and that, how that gets kind of worked out because I I've been to be honest with you BC's been looking at coaching changes I just don't think they can because of the coaching tap and I'm not saying it's time for Devon Claybrook to go I I mean Claybrook should stay most. Uh, most of these uh, coaches firing at least to start, you know, you kind of have that that one little domino before the big domino. If you if you can't fire or replace defensive coaches or position coaches, in other words, why? Like, I understand why you have the coaches tap, but if it's restricting your ability to make a much-needed change in season. How does that benefit? How does that benefit your teams? Yeah, precisely. Uh, you make an excellent point. We haven't seen any changes really, besides the Riders making one on the D, uh, with one of their position coaches this year. Nobody's really made a change at coach, despite a couple teams struggling. Mike, here, here's the thing, Ryan. They they fired that D line coach. They have yet to replace him, and probably won't replace him. They have his duties put amongst three other coaches, and it's because of the coaching cap. Yeah, yeah, you are, you are absolutely right. Uh, Mike, I'll leave it at that. I'll let you get headed out on your vacation here. Um, make sure you send me your CFL picks, of course, so I can uh, let everybody know what they are later, or later in the show. I uh, hope you enjoy your vacation, and uh, we'll talk to you uh, back again next week. Sounds good, man. Well, let's get straight into our guest interview for this episode of the podcast, where I'm joined by Ryan Ballantyne from Horseman Radio to talk everything Calgary Stampeders. And I'm now pleased to be joined here for our guest interview by a fellow member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network from the Horseman Radio podcast out in Calgary. Uh, and you may also know him from the, the TV show Big Brother Canada Season 6. In particular, it is Ryan Ballantyne. Ryan, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be back. It's been a while. Yeah, we're happy to have you back. I'm glad we were able to make it work and get you on here to talk a little Stampeders going into the bye week. And particularly glad we get to talk to you after the latest uh, Stampeders game this week in which they lose the uh, overtime thriller to the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, oh, I, that's, I'm, I'm confused. I'm confused because you're saying that they lost to the Alouettes, where anybody who was watching the game was absolutely positive that they lost that game to the officials in the command center. Yeah, yeah, I had a feeling that take was going to be there. Um, (laughs) Obviously, there's a lot of controversy around the ending of this game, in particular uh, Eric Rogers' uh, catch in the end zone being ruled out of bounds. Yeah. Safe to say you're on the side of Dave Dickinson here. We're uh, not too happy with that call. I'm not as upset about the Eric Rogers call because I really thought that that was a 50-50 chance that he was in bounds or out of bounds. And, you know, I felt like the ruling on the field was going to stand when they went up to the command center. However, before that, we, we see Vernon Adams Jr. take the snap and short yardage, third down, where Vernon Adams Jr. gets the ball goes towards the goal line and in no definitive view from any camera angle does he get to the goal line then they start removing players from pile which you know players are still moving under the pile and they call it a touchdown 45 seconds later not oh hey we're approaching the pile and I can see Adam's jersey and I'm calling it a touchdown right away 45 seconds later they call that a touchdown and in football in real terms of of that situation at that moment that is an eternity of time before signaling touchdown or not a touchdown and the worst part of it all was as i was watching it at mcmahon the one referee that signaled touchdown the other referee that's standing in front of him and thereby having a better view is shaking his head no. So one ref is shaking his head no, the other ref signals touchdown, and Montreal is awarded a touchdown in a game that that's a game-deciding play. 
Betting Montreal a touchdown and sent it to a second overtime series if they had correctly, in my mind, called the play as it was, which he wasn't over the goal line. Because, again, my seats are kind of right there. I could see it right away. And I thought, no, there's no way. He stopped. They were pulling guys out of the pile, made the call. All kinds of things were happening. It was a brutal call. And that game was stolen from Calgary by the officials. And that was one of several terrible calls on the night. I'm not a guy that blames the refs very often. But there were multiple terrible calls going against the Spirit all night. Now I won't I, I won't try to uh, challenge that because I don't think I'll end up changing your mind on it. And frankly, you know, to some extent, I do agree with you. I, I did watch the highlights of some of those plays a couple times, and you know, especially uh, that Rogers touchdown catch and, and the ones in the pile you mentioned. You know, some of them are so borderline. Uh, you can slow a play down a million times and survey a hundred people, and everybody's going to have a different different take on it. And well, the Stampeders do end out on the losing end of this one. Um, five and four start to the season heading into this bye week. Normally, I like to ask people if the team met their expectations, but given you predict your team to go 18 and 0 every season, I know they don't meet that. Um, that being said, are you surprised by how things have gone so far for Calgary? Or realistically, is that did you see something like this coming? Well, I, I definitely didn't see a 5-4 and four start, but then again, at the beginning of the season, I wouldn't, you know, if you had told me that Bo Levi Mitchell was going down and then halfway through the season they would still be over 500, I would have believed that. I would have believed that a 5-4 and four record was reasonable if Bo Mitchell was missing that much time. I mean, he has missed seven games to this point. So, you know, I, am I happy with the way the season's gone so far? No, but when you take, you go back, you, you look at, the week one loss, that happens to the Stampeders frequently throughout this Dave Dickinson era. Um, and you had, you know, seven new starters on defense. And so, you know, Dom Davis was able to kind of get them some things done. When the defense started to gel, the loss to Hamilton comes, and that's because of two kick return touchdowns. The loss to Winnipeg included two kick return touchdowns. And the loss to Montreal, you know, they, they pulled off a miracle comeback to get it to overtime and, and touchdown they never scored. So... <laughs> Am I am I happy with where the Stamps' record is? No, but am I am I worried at all that the Stampeders' record is indicative that they're not the team that they're capable of being? Not at all. I think the Stampeders, like I can't, you know, I, they're two tackles away from being eight and one. Right. So I mean, like really, that's and and even if you look at that game last night against or Saturday night against Montreal, Brandon Smith had a game. And interception hit his hands. Uh, you know, three DBs got their hands on passes in the Montreal overtime segment, and Calgary DBs have been picking off guys more than anybody, any other team this season. So if one of them just completes the interception that they've been making, like it really, the Stampeder season has come down to three plays between being five and four and being eight and one, and that's you know a kick return touchdown in either of the other two games, and uh, of course that play on the goal line against Montreal. So really. You know, I, I can't, I'm not upset about where the Stamps are. Bo Levi Mitchell will come back. The Stamps are going to win the Grey Cup, and that's all that's going to matter. Now, now, now this is kind of un, unchar, uncharted territory, uh, kind of like you mentioned, Bo Levi Mitchell going down due to injury because he's remained upright throughout his career. Uh, Nick Arbuckle comes in and has started all of the games in his place while he's been out. Um, you know, at first, I, I, I was a little down on Nick Arbuckle. Maybe it was, you know, he's an accurate passer. He can throw for the yards, but he wasn't putting up a lot of touchdowns. Well, I mean, four touchdown passes this week. He had a couple last week and a couple rushing touchdowns against the Bombers uh, the week before. I'm coming around on Nick Arbuckle now. I will say that. But uh, uh, what do you? how would you sum up his performance so far? Uh, Nick Arbuckle, to me, is good enough to start on a couple different teams in this league, but I'm not sure he's good enough to start on every team but Calgary. You know, I think like I, I think if you were to take Nick Arbuckle right in that middle tier of quarterbacks, um, I think he'd be better for Ottawa than either of their two options. I think he'd be the best quarterback in Toronto, and that's including Caleros. I think he'd be, uh, I think he'd be as effective as Matt Nichols in Winnipeg. Um, I really think that outside of Riley 
and and Mitchell being the top two tier quarterbacks, I think Arbuckle fits right in that second group of QBs, which is great for the Stampeders. But you know um, he's going to be a free agent at the end of the season, and we're probably going to see him ending up signing somewhere else as a result of this audition, where he's been able to. He just had a game where he threw four touchdowns on 31 for 36 passing and 300 and some odd yards. Can't argue with that kind of performance. Um, and uh, and that's against guys like Tommy Campbell, Siante Evans, and Patrick Levels, all of whom were all-star defenders the Stampeders defense within the last couple seasons. So, um, you know, all of them, they didn't forget how to play football recently. So you've got good players defensively who were still getting lit up by the backup quarterback here. Nick Arbuckle, I, I give him kind of a B plus, but only because the losses are there. Um, and that is the difference, I think, between him and Bo Mitchell. Bo Mitchell comes out and wins those games. Nick Arbuckle hasn't recently. Yeah, and, and you compare him to all these different quarterbacks. You know, I think I might go and say he might play as well as Mike Riley right now in BC too. Uh, just... Well, I mean, I so could I because <laughs> I'm running for my life on every damn play too. It's I think anybody could play the quarterback for BC right now because all you have to do is take the snap and get sacked. Yeah, pretty much. Um, that you know, we talked about kind of the things that led to the couple losses for Calgary. Kind of the consistent one in a couple of those was the special teams there. Would you say that's kind of the weak point for the team right now, or uh, where else would you like? Has the team obviously the team's taken a step back from where they've been the last couple of years because we're used to them being, uh, you know, nine and zero to start the season or eight and one, which as you mentioned they could be. Uh, what areas have they taken a step back, uh, due in large part to all the guys they lost in the offseason? Well, I think defensively it's going to take that team time to gel. I think they've been doing that as of late. Um, they got tired late in that game uh, against Montreal, and it showed. Um, but I think defensively they did take a little bit of a step back, but not a substantial one. I think they're a little closer to the pack than they have been the last couple seasons when they've been dominant. On special teams, this isn't just a Stampeders problem. This is a league-wide problem. Everybody's allowing return touchdowns. Yeah. Just Calgary happened of them in two games, and that cost them two games. Um, but the, those were the four that they've allowed. But we've got, so far, a CFL record for return touchdowns, and we're not even to Labor Day yet. So that comes down to, I saw, I saw a David Sa- Davis Sanchez video earlier said it's because there's been a wholesale change in personnel across the league when you look at who's playing special teams and who's not due to injuries and due to players leaving and everything else I mean when you look at the guys that were on the Calgary defense last year this the guys that were on special teams for Calgary last year are defensively so they're playing less special teams so now you're getting rookies on the special teams who aren't covering as well as they should be and aren't handling their responsibilities maybe as effectively as the guys who are now starting on the Calgary defense. Now looking ahead here going forward, uh, the Stamps come out of the bye week and then at that point have uh, the home and home with the Edmonton Eskimos uh, for Labor Day as they do every year. Um, A lot of West Division matchups coming up uh, down the second half of the season here. I know you're going to tell me that Calgary finishes first in the West, but... uh, (laughs) Uh, how how do you see things shaping up here with the rest of the West Division down the stretch? Uh, with the rest of the West Division, I think that Winnipeg's going to end up playing in Edmonton for the right to come to Calgary. Um, okay. It would not surprise me to see Bo Mitchell coming back for Labor Day. The idea of keeping him out of the Montreal game because he wasn't feeling 100% and meaning that that gave him an additional two weeks to rest and rehab, uh, that would put him at eight weeks uh, coming back. Um, to the to the season, so um, it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, uh, Bo Mitchell back for Labor Day. But at the same time, Arbuckle already beat the Eskimos once. The Eskimos have made kind of short work of everybody around the league, except for Calgary um, this season and and Winnipeg. Um, I think Winnipeg is is a little bit of a house of cards right now, just waiting to fall, and we'll see what's going on with this Matt Nichols injury once we get a full diagnosis on what's going on. What, what? I know that Chris Strebler, Chris Strebler is the answer. 
Yeah, it looks like with Matt Nichols, uh, four to six weeks he'll be out, uh, came the news today. So not season ending, and uh, we'll see if Strevler can maintain things in the meantime. Um, last question before we wrap things up here. You are, of course, also participating in the CFPN Fantasy Challenge with the unique strategy of picking only Stampeders every single week that you can. How do you feel I don't that... think anybody's surprised by that. No. I think... I think... Look, I get that it's a shtick for me doing this. Like, I get, like, I know I could pick other players, and I, um, but I think it's hilarious every week to suggest that I sat down and did the hard numbers and looked at the entire league, and from a fantasy perspective, this is the best possible lineup. And then I put up seven Stampeders every week. I think it's hilarious. It's led to wins. I've got three wins on the season. I'm impressed, I, ha- I have to say. And I'm only four point, like I'm five points behind Travis Curra, who's currently in third place in the league. So if I had had different matchups week to week, I might have been able to be better than Travis Curra um, and his record. So I think it's just been my schedule that's been the problem. I've had a tough schedule in the first half. I'm hoping the second half of the season evens that out and I can climb back into a playoff picture. But yeah, I, I put every every week I put up seven stamps because it's really funny to me to keep doing it and, and hell sometimes it works when Reggie Bagleton scores four touchdowns off Nick Arbuck so is it going to be stressful trying to field the lineup this week then with uh, with the stamps on the bye well see here's the problem I feel like I have to win this week because <laughs> if I win this week I can shit talk everybody and say look I, my shtick has won me a couple of games but when I didn't have all Stampeders to choose from I won two so that's that's what I need to do is if I can pull out a win this week I can I can talk all the smack I want um, about the rest of the league because, yeah, my shtick hasn't won me a lot of games, but when it came down to it and I picked whoever I felt like, then I was a winner. Fair enough. Uh, We'll see how many more wins that picks up for you down the stretch. It's a close league all throughout, uh, especially with Andrew from the Empire uh, podcast falling back down to earth with a couple losses here. Gives us all a chance to catch up, and we'll see how things play out here. Uh, just to wrap things up, Ryan, uh, let, let thank, first of all, thanks for uh, taking the time to join here, me here on the show, and uh, tell everybody where they can find you on social media, where they can find your podcast, or, well, your multiple podcasts, and uh, <laughs> everything you got going on. Uh, well, you can uh, you can find uh, first. We'll start with the uh, the podcast that got me here, which is uh, Horseman Radio. You can search that on uh, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere where you can get podcasts. Just type in Horsemen Radio, and that's plural M E N. Horseman Radio. That's where uh, all of our shows uh, started, um, and uh, we are now on season uh, twelve of this wow. podcast. Um, follow me online at bbcanryan on Twitter and Instagram. Those are the two places at CFL underscore Horseman on Twitter and Instagram for uh, the official Horseman account. And uh, if you're if you're a reality TV fan, check out TV Code. It's an app where you can follow along and, and see a lot of uh, reality stars talking reality TV, and uh, it's all free to just chime in and listen to them break down their show. Uh, if you're a BBUS fan, uh, Rockstar's got a show on there, and uh, she's every Monday night just after us, every Monday night at 7 p.m. Eastern. Wonderful. Well, Ryan, thanks for uh, joining me here tonight, and uh, enjoy the rest of the Stamps bye week and uh, trying to field a fantasy lineup that doesn't have Stampeders, and uh, we'll, we'll see how things go down the stretch. Enjoy the rest of your week. Pleasure is always. Happy to be here, man. Thanks. And big thanks to Ryan from Horseman Radio for joining us here to talk all things Stampeders. Uh, I do apologize for the uh, slight audio glitches there, folks. I tried to clean them up as much as possible, but uh, hopefully it comes through clearly still. So th- thanks for to Ryan for uh, chatting. That It's always fun to chat with him. Uh, oh, he does uh, not shy away from his uh, bold opinions about the Calgary Stampeders and the CFLs. So, Getting into CFL Fantasy, CFL Pick'em, just to round out the show here. Um, CFL Fantasy, starting with the Canadian Football Podcast Network Fantasy Challenge, in which myself and nine other hosts from the Canadian Football Podcast Network go head-to-head each week. I had a pretty dismal week. Uh, Finished last place out of everybody 
putting up only 57.3 points. Uh, Brandon Burks was my leading point getter this week. It was not a great week for myself. Uh, a lot of things didn't go as planned uh, for my team, but uh, hoping to have a bounce back this week. This week, So I do fall to Safamod from the Pitfuls podcast. Uh, he had a big week with 96.1 points. Uh, drops me to 6-4. and four. Still up at second place in the standings, and I face the guy I'm tied with, Travis Curra from the Two and Out CFL podcast, uh, who is also six and four. We go head to head this week for the second time this year after he destroyed me back in week two. So I'm back this week and looking for revenge. As far as mine and Mike's fantasy league uh, season long format goes, uh, another week where he beat me this week. That's got to be three, four in a row. 185.7 for him. Uh, Trevor Harris, Greg Ellingson, uh, Ricky Collins, Marcus Sales, uh, you name it, all these guys contributed to a huge week for Mike. Uh, and my fantasy week was bailed out by having Reggie Pagleton and Vernon Adams, uh, who helped me put up 179.8. Uh, those two guys alone combined for about 70 of those. So uh, season-long totals. Mike's at 1464.58. I'm at 1484.74. So still 20 points ahead, uh, just barely clinging to the lead this week. Uh, he did, uh, I asked him if he was going to make any trades this week before he went on vacation, and he confirmed that he is going to stand pat with his roster uh, this week, just as he did a couple weeks ago. So no trades for Mike. Uh, for myself, I will be making two trades here. Um, one of them, I know he's only on the sixth game list and maybe I'll look to pick him back up when he comes back. Uh, but I'm going to swap, I'm going to take a shot here at Chris Strebler. I'm going to go and drop Matt Nichols and, uh, trade him for his backup, Chris Strebler. Uh, I do like Arbuckle as an option, but the Calgary Stampeders are on a bye this week and I don't know if Bo Levi's coming back after the bye week. Uh, so I'll drop Matt Nichols, add Chris Strebler, and uh, at the wide receiver position, I'm going to make a change here as well. Brad Sinopoli uh, just has not panned out to what we expected this season from him, so I will drop Brad Sinopoli, and uh, I'm going to go all in on the Alouettes to try to catch up to Mike here a little. He's got a lot of riders. I'm going to go heavy on the Alouettes. I got Vernon Adams Jr. I got William Stanback. I have Quan Bray. So give me the guy who came back into the lineup this week and had a monster week. Give me Devere Posey. So dropping Brad Sinopoli, picking up Devere Posey from the Montreal Alouettes. And we'll check back in next week to see if that move pays off. Uh, CFL Pick'em. Uh, last week in CFL Pick'em, I took the Argos again. And it didn't pan out. I don't know why I keep doing that, frankly. Uh, just looking at our uh, the games from last week. I went 2-2. Two and two. Uh, I believe Mike did as well. I will have to double-check on that. Um, he did change and pick the Bombers with me. I know that. Uh, after saying on the podcast he was going to pick the Lions. I know he picked the Eskimos. Uh, to win, uh, so I believe it was actually a 3-1, and one, if not a 4-0 week for Mike. I don't remember if he took Montreal over Calgary or not. I uh, will confirm on that. Picks for this week, just to round out the show. Uh, we have Edmonton hosting Winnipeg on Friday night. Mike has said he is picking Edmonton. Um, yeah, I... Uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with what I'm go what what I've gone with all season long. I'm taking the Bombers. I think Chris Trevor is gonna be out there to prove himself a little bit. Uh, battle of two great defenses, and while Chris uh, Trevor Harris had his monster game against Toronto last week, uh, I'm not so sure he can do it again against this Bombers defense, who did shut him down back in Week Three when it seemed after the first two games, like perhaps nobody would be able to. So I'll take the Bombers on the road. Call me a homer all you want. Uh, I will take Winnipeg in this one. Saskatchewan hosting Ottawa on Saturday. Uh, Mike and I are both taking the Riders. Um, to me, until Ottawa can fix their offense, uh, especially against this Riders team that's won four in a row, I don't see why they don't make this one five straight. 
granted, Dom Davis did light up the Riders' defense back in week number two, I believe. But I'm going to take Saskatchewan. I like their defense shutting down Ottawa. I like everything going with their offense right now. I will take the Riders, as Mike does. Uh, Hamilton into BC, the rematch from two weeks ago, uh, where Hamilton pulls off the last-minute victory over BC. Uh, I have the Ticats winning this one, as does Mike, um, simply because of all the things we've talked about at at length already with the Lions. You know, I, I just don't feel confident picking PC until I see them being able to turn this around a little bit. Uh, unfortunately, I think it is another loss for the Lions this week. And the final game of the week, the Touchdown Atlantic game. Uh, the Toronto Argonauts, the home team in the Atlantic game, uh, hosting the Montreal Alouettes. I am not going to take the Argos again uh, this week uh, because I just really like what's going on with Montreal. I, I think this could be a close game, to be fair. I think the Argos are starting to do things, uh, some good things a little better here, especially offensively in the last two games. Uh, but I do like the way Montreal's playing, especially after that monster game from Vernon Adams, and uh, how uh, energized this team must be after that comeback victory over Calgary. So I will take Montreal, and uh, Mike is taking them as well. So he has Edmonton, Saskatchewan, Hamilton, Montreal. I have Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, Hamilton, and Montreal. And that does it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, Mike will be back next week, so happy to have him back to talk uh, all things from Week 11 in the CFL. And, uh, of course, thanks to Ryan Ballantyne from the Horseman Radio Podcast uh, for joining me as well. Check them out on Twitter, at CFL underscore Horseman. Um, check out the Canadian Football Podcast Network, at CFPod Network on Twitter and CFPodNetwork.ca. Uh, of course, with our podcast, you can find it on Facebook, Twitter, interact with us there, uh, at CFC on Mike FM, uh, and then uh, like, comment, subscribe, review on all the podcast platforms. Make sure you share out the show if you enjoyed it. That does it for this episode of the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a wonderful week, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye.